Welcome to the city. Um, and if you missed last week, big news, we are done with Luke. Uh, it, was a, it was a long, some people are very happy about, about that. We're done with Luke. And to celebrate, you know, we, we liked it so much, we thought we might as well just start over. So we're going back to Luke 1 today. I'm just kidding. Uh, we're moving on. We're, we're going on to a, a series we do every summer called Creed. And um, how many of you know what, I, what I'm referring to when I say fat guy in a little coat? You know what I'm talking about? Tommy boy, fat guy. If you don't know that, you're probably more intelligent than the rest of us. But, you know, Clayton's used this analogy when it comes to um, theology. You know, when it comes to like knowing what there is to know about scripture, about his kingdom, about God himself, like we can just barely get our arms around it, right? Because there's just too much to know. Our, our, the God we serve is infinite. And so no matter how much we know, there's, there's, there's more to know. No matter how much we learn, no matter how much we experience of him, we, we've just barely scratched the surface. We, we can never know all there is to know. So, so what are we to do with that? Do we, do we give up? Absolutely not, right? We, we, we dig in. There, again, there's just always more, and that should give us some, some comfort here, right? There, there never becomes a time in our life where we kind of reach this pinnacle where we know all there's to know, and we... You know, we're, we're, we're at this perfect level of obedience and holiness and all that. We always have more to grow. There's, there's, there's a deeper level in your relationship with God. There's more maturity. There's more obedience. There's more holiness. And, and one way throughout church history that Christians have, have tried to, to keep their focus in the right places, to, to, to keep their theology in order, is through creeds. A creed is like a fat guy in a little coat, right? It gives these handles by which we can express our knowledge and our understanding of who God is and what he's about and what his kingdom's like and his ways, all of that. You know, some examples of creeds you might have heard of, the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed. These are ways just to get down on paper just the main kind of theological points of what makes a Christian a Christian. What is objective truth? Things that we have to all Agree on. This is why every single week we recite our City 7, right? We, we say this all the time. It's so we can know why we believe what we believe. We, we can kind of get square and all on the same page. These are the things that we stand on. This is objective truth. Because when it comes to theology, there are majors and there are minors, right? There, there are some, some minor things that we can disagree on when it comes to in, interpretation of scripture. And we, and we can still be friends. We can still have fellowship with each other. We can still be Christians together, following Jesus together, worshiping together. But then there are majors where if we disagree on them, we lose the gospel. We, we lose objective truth. We, we, we can't all be Christians and believe these different things. And so that's what we're kind of looking into in, in, in this series, Creed. What, what does the Bible say? Well, why do we believe what we believe? And, and what is objective truth? And my question for you as we start this series is, what about you when it comes to theology? Uh, how much do you think about theology? How much attention do you give to why you believe what you believe or, or making sure you believe the right things? How much, how, how, how skeptical, here's another way to answer, to ask this question. How skeptical are you when you hear sermons or a clip of a sermon somebody shares on, on social media or something, or a, a Christian book that you read or a, a Christian meme, maybe that has a verse quoted, like how, how skeptical are you when you see those things? Or are you someone that if it's kind of labeled Christian, you just kind of accept it as gospel truth? 
See, the truth is, and we're promised this in scripture, the truth is there is lots of bad theology out there. Lots of wrong beliefs. Jesus warned us there would be in the last days a lot of false teachers, te- you know, leading people astray away from objective truth and the, the truth of the gospel. And it's happening right now. Even in what translation of the Bible you choose to read, sometimes you can't trust if it's accurate. Now, I'm not saying you can't trust scripture, right? But not every, not every um, translation is created equal. For example, I just found this out yesterday. Did you know that there exists a pirate Bible? Like, our pirate. <laughs> I'm not making this up. There, there is a pirate Bible where they've taken the King James Version, they've run it through this algorithm, and, and AI spit out the entire Bible in the language of a pirate. This is real, and it claims to be an accurate representation of Scripture. So, so that, that's an extreme example, but this is a problem, right? It's a problem because truth matters. Scripture is, is, is sacred. It can't be added to or taken from. And we as followers of Jesus have to know what it says. We need to test everything against Scripture against reliable translations of Scripture, against consensus of reputable theologians and scholars. Truth matters. And so often, you and I even, we, we, we tend to get things wrong sometimes because we, we believe things, we, we have our own ideas about who God is and what he's like or whatever. We, we get it so wrong, and that's why we need series like this one, Creed. And today... We're talking about something, and then for the next couple of weeks, that I think a lot of us tend to misunderstand or get wrong from time to time, and that's the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, very, very misunderstood, underappreciated, maybe even ignored by by some Christians, even groups of Christians, different denominations, ignored by some, and, and also hyped by some and misused and abused by some. We we can fall all over the map, and it's very, very easy to misunderstand things when it comes to the, the Holy Spirit. It's not something we talk about a whole lot. So how do, we, how do we know who the Spirit is? Like, what is he like? What does he do? We turn to Scripture, right? We look at Scripture. Who is the Holy Spirit? What, what did Jesus teach about the Holy Spirit? And where maybe, you know, we're getting it wrong because if we stray one way or the other, we can fall into these extremes. It can lead us way, way off track. Now, I grew up in Leveland, Texas. I grew up in a church called First Assembly of God. And my, my mom was born into that church. I was born into that church. It's a charismatic Pentecostal church, right? We were very into the Holy Spirit, okay? Like growing up, I saw, and I'm so, so thankful for, for just the, the godly heritage that my grandparents and my parents passed down to me. Man, I just had just a, a rich upbringing when it comes to, to experiencing God and, and following him. And in our services, man, we saw the power of the Holy Spirit. I grew up seeing healings and prophetic words and just unbelievable times of worship. And, and these, these moments with the Spirit of God that absolutely changed me and, and marked me and made me, made me who I am today. And as I've gotten older, there's some things theologically looking back that, that that church taught and believed that I don't necessarily think are right today, right? But I am thankful 
for that experience and for what, what God did in my heart in those, in those early years. But then when I first got into ministry at the age of 19, uh, I started ministering in Nazarene churches. I don't know if you're familiar with this denomination, but it's basically the opposite of what I just described to you at the, at the assembly of God, right? It's, 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 you know, very, very, we don't talk a lot about the Holy Spirit. When it, when it comes to moves of the Holy Spirit or gifts of the Spirit, specifically tongues and, and prophecy and these things, they, they, they were very, very, um, this, is, this is kind of old school Nazarene. They're kind of changing today. But anyway, it, it was kind of the opposite. If I'm being honest, some fear there. And the reason for this is because, you know, over 100 years ago when this, when this denomination was born, it was kind of birthed out of this move of God, this charismatic movement where his spirit moved and they saw healings and all these. I mean, it, it was an amazing thing. And people just caught fire. And over time, they started losing focus of the one that was bringing the signs and they, they focused on the signs and, and the, the experience and the, the emotionalism of the moment, right? And so they, they swung so far where it got so crazy and weird, they overcorrected and swung back the other way and they were closed to the spirit. So th th this is not something that we wanna do as a body of believers, right? We, we don't wanna be, be swayed one way or the other. We wanna know what scripture says and we wanna have a balanced approach, there's many charismatic circles and movements that have really gone off the rails, kind of chasing the, the experience and the hype and making that experience, the emotionalism, the goal. And then there are some that have swung the other way and gotten off track, just denying the power and the movement of the Holy Spirit. This is why one of our values as a church is word and spirit. It's not one or the other. The wind and the sail, right? If, you, if you're sailing, you need, you need both. You need, a, the, not the wind and the sail, the rudder and the sail. You need the rudder of the word to, to guide you, right? To make sure you're going where you want to go. And you need the, the, the wind of the Holy Spirit blowing through your sails so you can go where the Spirit is leading you to go. If you just have a rudder and no sail, it doesn't really work. If you have a sail and no rudder, it doesn't really work. So we want the full counsel of God's word when it comes to the Holy Spirit, a balanced and healthy view. So today we're looking at who is the Holy Spirit. The, the following weeks, Clayton's going to talk about, you know, what he does, what he's like, how, how we receive the Holy Spirit, all of that stuff. So, so today is a lot of theology, right? It's going to be lots of verses, lots of information. Um, I know a lot of us are sleepy because a lot of us stayed up late and watched a stupid football game. And we're a little tired. That's probably why you came to this service and not the early one, if we're being honest, right? But hang in there. We'll get through it together. We're going to give it our best effort, unlike they did last night. I'm just kidding. They gave a good effort. That's fine. They, they tried hard. All right. If you have a Bible, Acts chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, of course, they're always on the, the screen. The best way, though, especially today, because there's lots in there, message notes in, in, the, in our app. The message notes are going to be helpful because there's a lot to, lot to go over. So I asked Shayla to uh, read our scripture for us today. So would you guys stand just in the honor of reading God's word? Good morning, City Fam. My name is Shayla Lopez. My husband is Michael. My children are Addie, Zayden, Xander. I volunteer at the Wednesday night prayer gatherings, and I'm also a part of the Philpot City Group. And today I'm going to read Acts 2, 
chapters one through four. The Holy Spirit comes. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven, like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone, was, everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Awesome. Thank you, Shayla. You guys can have a seat. So, so you know, when you think about the Holy Spirit, uh, as believers, we, I think about the Holy Spirit, that's one of the first things I think about in Scripture is the book of Acts, right? Because this, this right here, Pentecost, I mean, this was when it all went down. One of the first verses you probably think of, this, this second chapter of Acts is, is huge in this story of redemption, right? God's ultimate plan in his kingdom. This, this is kind of a new phase in the plan. In chapter one, the disciples were told to wait on the Holy Spirit, right? In chapter two, he comes. The Spirit falls. They spoke in other languages. This was a huge sign to the people that were outside. You know, they, they each heard in their own language. Um, in chapter one, the disciples were equipped, but in chapter two, they're empowered. Empowered by what? Empowered by the Holy Spirit. Remember, they went from kind of scared, unsure, they don't know what's coming next. They're kind of huddled in this room, and they get the Holy Spirit, and then all of a sudden, they're empowered. They're emboldened. Peter walks straight out and stands in front of thousands of people and says, you killed the Messiah. Like, bold proclamation of the gospel, and what happened? 3,000 people were saved and baptized that very day. In chapter 1, they were, they were held back. In chapter 2, they're sent. In chapter 1, we, we saw Jesus ascend into heaven. And now in chapter two, the spirit descends and the church is, is born. But when it comes to the, the Holy Spirit, if we're going to learn and study the Holy Spirit, you can't start here. Why not? Because this isn't the beginning, right? Is this the first time in scripture that the Holy Spirit is mentioned? No, it's not. It's not the first time that he's on the scene. If you, you want to study this, the, the Holy Spirit, we have to go back. How far back? I'm talking about all the way back to the very beginning. We're talking about the first three sentences in your Bible. Genesis chapter one, verse one. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty and darkness covered the deep waters. And the spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. There he is right there. In the beginning, there's, there's the Holy Spirit of God hovering over the waters. He was there before anything else. In Genesis 1.26, again, this is God. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like, like us. You ever hear an old person say, what do you mean us? What do you mean, what, you got a mouse in your pocket? You've heard that? <laughs> like, there's no mouse in his pocket, okay? He, it's, it's God and someone else is there. Who else is there? The Holy Spirit. And the Son, in, in the existence of the Trinity. We're going to talk about that here in just a little bit. And then other places, just real quick. Genesis 3.22, uh, God said, look, the human beings have become like us. In, in Genesis 11.7, come, let us go down and confuse the people. Different language, lots of us. And then even later in the Old Testament, in the prophets, you have Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8. Then I heard the Lord asking, whom should I send as a messenger to his people? Who will go for us? Isaiah 63, 10. 
but they rebelled against him and grieved his Holy Spirit. So, so he's mentioned over and over and over if you're, if you're looking for it. And the first thing I want us to, to see today, just when we're talking about who is the Holy Spirit, what are his attributes, what is he like? The first one, the Holy Spirit is eternal. He's eternal. He, he's always existed. He's actually mentioned or referred to 90 different times in the Old Testament and over 260 times in the New Testament. He's always been here. He's always been around. He's been here from the beginning. Hebrews 9, 14. For by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. So what I'm getting you to, trying to get you to see here, it didn't start at Pentecost. The spirit of God has always existed. He is eternal. He's also omniscient. It's not omniscient, okay? It's omniscient. What does that mean? It means he's all-knowing. He knows everything that there is to know in 1 Corinthians 2.10. But it was to us that God revealed these things by his spirit. For his spirit searches out everything and, and shows us God's deep secrets. No one can know a person's thoughts except that person's own spirit. And no one can know God's thoughts except God's own spirit. And we have received God's spirit, not the world's spirit, so we can know the wonderful things God has freely given us. So, so it's the spirit. The spirit is all-knowing. He's the reason we can know God. The, the spirit searches the deep things of God, and he, he leads us into truth. Next, the Holy Spirit is omnipotent. Omnipotent. This means he is all-powerful. Psalm 104, verse 30 says, when you give them your breath, in that it's translated in, in, in Hebrew, sometimes spirit, right? When you give them your breath, your spirit, life is created and you renew the face of the earth. Romans 15, 19. They are convinced by the power of miraculous signs and wonders and by the power of God's spirit. So, so this is where, where people are convinced of the truth of the gospel because the Holy Spirit was moving in these powerful ways. Miraculous signs and wonders. The, the Holy Spirit is powerful, all powerful. Next, the Holy Spirit is omnipresent. Omnipresent. You can kind of put this one together, right? He's, he's everywhere all the time. Psalm 139, 7. You might recognize this verse from, from David. How can I ever, how can, I can, sorry, I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I go down to the grave, you're there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there, your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. He's there. He is everywhere all the time. God's spirit is omnipresent. So, so what does all this add up to? Him being eternal, omniscient, omnipresent. It adds up to this. The Holy Spirit is God. That's kind of our, our first takeaway today. The Holy Spirit is God. Not just a, a part of God. He is he is God. So when we think about God, we, we, we often talk about these terms we just went through, right? Him being eternal, omnipresent, omnipotent, all that stuff. But we, we tend to kind of refer those things to, to, to apply only to God the Father. But the teaching from Scripture says these apply to all members of the Trinity, all three of them. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They're all eternal and omnipresent and infinitely wise and infinitely holy and infinitely loving and so on and so on. The Holy Spirit shares all these attributes with God the Father. He's, he's not a lesser kind of being than God the Father or God the Son. The Spirit is God. 
So let's talk about the, the Trinity for a second, right? This, this is going to get real heady for just a minute. Okay, so, so hang with me. We're going we're gonna to focus together. The Trinity, the, the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. And like I've said, in my opinion, he's the most misunderstood, the most underappreciated, the most even ignored member of that, that Trinity. This Trinity, this idea of a Trinity, it's, it's another one of those fat guy in a little coat kind of things, right? You, you, can, you can barely wrap your mind around what this means. Uh, it, it, theologians can't fully even explain it. It's, a difficult, it's almost like you ever think of eternity, like what's heaven going to be like? And you're like, try to think, man, what, what is that going to be like forever? And eventually you get to the point where your head kind of goes, and you're like, ah, yeah, it's a lot, right? That's kind of how the Trinity is, okay? But we're going we're gonna to try. There are three that make up just one, okay? All completely different and distinct, but also singular. God the Father is God. Jesus is God. We've been saying that for a couple of years now in Luke, right? And the Holy Spirit is God. And so, so through the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, I mean, the, the, the Trinity, and this is, you may not even realize this, but the word Trinity is not even in Scripture anywhere, it's not really taught about, but it's, it's implied. We've, we've read some of those verses already, but we're going to read a couple more. Uh, Matthew 3.16. After his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my dearly loved Son who brings me great joy. This is a cool one, right? Because right here in these couple of verses, you have all three members of the Trinity kind of interacting together at once. You have Jesus, the son being baptized. You have the spirit of God descending down upon Jesus and then empowering him for his, his ministry that's to come. And then you have God, the father who says, this is my, my son. John 14, 15, Jesus says, if you love me, obey my commandments and I will ask the father and he'll give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. So again, all three mentioned here, right? But here you, you have the second person of the Trinity in Jesus actually introducing us to the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. Now this one's really cool. Isaiah 48. This one kind of blows my mind a little bit. He says, uh, again, this is, this is Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah. And now the sovereign Lord and his spirit have sent me with this message. Okay, so, so you have the Lord God, the, the Father sent me and his spirit. Many theologians say that, that this me is, is Jesus speaking through the prophet. So again, you, you have all three mentioned here in the Old Testament. Another thing we see in scripture when it comes to Trinity, they are all one, right? Three beings in, in one, but they all serve different primary functions when it comes to the way they relate to us, to, to creation and to the gospel, like to God's redemptive story. All right, so, so this isn't on the screen in your notes, but you can kind of follow along. So when it comes to creation, when it comes to creation, we just read some of this from Genesis, right? What, what function did God the Father play in, in creation? He, he spoke the words that brought the universe into existence, right? Then you have God the Son, Jesus we know from John chapter 1 that Jesus is the eternal word of God who, who carried out the story of creation. And then in Colossians, we know that in Jesus, all things were created. All things were created through him and for him. Then you have the Holy Spirit. We read in verse 2, chapter 1 of Genesis, 
He hovered over the face of the waters. He, he moved. And, and we know from God's redemptive plan and, and his relating with creation, he sustained and manifested God's presence on the earth. So, so he is the, the physical form of the presence of God. So, so, so that's, that's creation. So let's look at redemption. So God's plan of redemption, sending Jesus to die for our sins so that we could have a relationship with him. What role did God play in that? God the Father. He planned this redemption. He sent Jesus to the earth, right? Then you have God the Son. He obeys the Father. He lays his life down to, to accomplish this redemption for us. And then the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was sent by God the Father and God the Son to, to apply this redemption to us, okay? He, he does the, the, this regeneration work, this regenerative work when we... we uh, submit our lives to Jesus. We make him Lord of our lives. It's the Holy Spirit that we receive that, that sanctifies us, right? That begins this process of sanctification in us that grows us spiritually, makes us more and more and more like Jesus. It empowers us for service. So, so the summary here, the Holy Spirit brings to completion the work that has been planned by God and begun by the Son. So that's how they kind of relate to us through this, this redemptive story. And kind of another interesting note, you have the father and son, this, this, this role, this, the way they interact with each other, it should be familiar to us, right? Because it works the same way a father and son relationship would work for humans. It shows that the father and son relate to one another. Um, the father directs and has authority over the son, and the son obeys and is responsive to the directions of the father. It's the same with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is obedient to the, the directives of both the Father and the Son. The Holy Spirit and the Son are equal in deity to the Father. So, so, so here's, here's what you've got to get your, your minds around here. They're equal, right? But they're also subordinate. They're subordinate to God the Father, subordinate in their roles, in the way they, they react and, and respond to creation and this role this role they play in redemption they are subordinate subordinate in their their roles there's no difference in their date their deity their their attributes their nature it's all the same they're all all those things but they're in these subordinate roles to god the father the only distinctions is how they relate to one another how they relate to us so everybody need a breather <laughs> You're tracking with me here? So let's kind of let's tie it together when it comes to the, the, the Trinity. A, a lot of people have tried to think of these analogies to help us kind of understand it, right? You might have heard like the, the three-leaf clover. It's like one leaf, but it's got three parts, sort of. Or maybe the egg. You have the shell. You have the yolk. You have the egg white. You know, it's, so it's kind of three parts, but it's also one part. Um, you might have heard of the, the tree analogy. You have the roots and the branches and the trunk. Um, and all of these are pretty flawed in some ways. So um, one of the things we turn to as a staff when it comes to questions of theology is Wayne Grudem's systematic theology. We read it as a staff. We discuss it. And in his teaching on the Trinity and the Holy Spirit, he came up with, with this graphic and this example, which he thinks is the most accurate. So, so you've, got, you've got three distinct beings that are still part of one, Right? but they're divided by a dotted line, not a, not a solid line. Like, there's no division there, right? There, there's, they're overlapping kind of, you know. Here's how he explains it. There are three distinct persons, but each person is fully and wholly God. 
Of course, the representation is imperfect for it cannot represent God's infinity, right? He, he's not just a circle. He's infinite um, or personality or indeed any of his attributes. It also requires looking at the circle in more than one way in order to understand it. The dotted lines must be understood to indicate a personal relationship, not any division in the one being of God. So, so how do we summarize this together? How do we tie it all together? Number one, God is three persons. Number two, each person is fully God. And number three, there is one God. So, so that is the doctrine of the Trinity. He is the third member of the Trinity. He is God. But not only is he God, the Holy Spirit is also a person. He's a person. He's not a force. He's not a thing. You might even hear, hear people say, you know, like refer to the Holy Spirit as it, right? He's not an it. He, he's, a, he's a person. He's not some kind of force that we can wield or, or control or use for our advantage somehow. He's not some cosmic force, right? He's not the force like Star Wars or something that we kind of have at our disposal to, 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 to use if we need it. He is a, a person. This is where people that tend to place too much emphasis on the Holy Spirit and those people I was talking about that chase these, these big dramatic uh, events and the emotionalism and the warm fuzzies and all that, this is where they can tend to miss it. He, he's a person. He's not a tool for us to use. New Testament's pretty clear that he is a person. He's not just... And it, there's several verses mentioned where the spirit, it, like we've already read a bunch of them, it, it puts the spirit in relationship with the father and the son. We know they're, they're persons, so it stands to reason the Holy Spirit is also a person. Um, there, there's also places in the New Testament specifically where the spirit, they, they use um, masculine pronouns to describe the Holy Spirit, right? This means that he's a person. He's not just a thing. Uh, there's also a name for counselor and comforter like in the in the greek that is used to describe the holy spirit th th these are terms given to a, a person someone that teaches someone that counsels someone that comforts another person he is a a person so here's just we're going to blow through some evidence here we're not going to read every every single verse this will be a good time to have the app or you can take a picture of the screen or whatever but evidence he's a person we see in john 14 he teaches he teaches us that's what people do he bears witness. He, he prays for it. Did you know that the Holy Spirit prays for us? Scripture teaches us that when we don't know what to pray, the Holy Spirit prays to God on our behalf for us. That's something a person does. He searches the depths of God. We read that one. He knows the thoughts of God. We read that one. He decides who gets what spiritual gifts. So you know, when we receive the Holy Spirit as we're at conversion, you know, when we're Saved, we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior. We receive the Holy Spirit. He gives each of us a spiritual gift to be used to serve the church, to serve each other. He's the one that decides who gets what gift. Uh, he forbids certain activities. He evaluates and approves of a wise course of action. So, so again, these are things that a person does. And if he's a person, guess what? He has a personality. He has a mind. He has a will. The Holy Spirit loves. When's the last time you thought about the Holy Spirit having emotions? He thinks. He can be grieved. We, we know from Scripture, again, our actions, the sin in our lives can grieve the Holy Spirit. 
He comforts and he counsels. Again, these are, these are things that a person does. He has a, a personality. He is God and he is also a person. So, so here's kind of our big idea today. The Holy Spirit is God with us. God with us. Now, I think we can all agree that Jesus was pretty amazing, right? We just spent a couple of years reading and talking about everything he ever did. Now, imagine for a second that you were one of his disciples, one of the 12. You spent three and a half years with him. We're talking all day, every day. Can you imagine being, spending, spending that much time with him, hanging out, seeing all the stuff, seeing every miracle that he ever did, the loaves and the fishes, blind eyes open, crippled people getting up to walk. You, you got to sit there and, and be taught by Jesus himself. Spending all this time with you. He, at some point in there, he's not just their, their leader or their Lord even. He, he's their friend. Can you imagine being friends with Jesus in the flesh? Can you imagine watching him be crucified, buried, and then seeing him alive? And then seeing him ascend into hell? All, all this stuff. I mean, it blows my mind to think about how amazing would that be? But what did Jesus say before he ascended into heaven? Right before he went away, he said this, it's good that I go. Why in the world would it be good for Jesus to go? Because he says, then the Holy Spirit can come. That's how important Jesus thought that the Holy Spirit would be for us as believers. Not just an addition to, to our lives, right? It's, it's critical. He's the one that does the work in us. He's the one who brings regeneration and it's sanctification, makes us more and more like, like Jesus. So, so why, why is it important to know who the Holy Spirit is? Because a life without the Spirit is like a boat with no sail. Not to reference Tommy Boy again, but you remember the scene when he's in the middle of the lake with no wind, just sitting there, how stupid he looked. The kids are making fun of him. That is the Christian life without the power of the Holy Spirit. Lifeless, powerless, for being honest, useless in the kingdom. Again, that's why we have as a core value, word and spirit, sail and rudder. So many Christians, again, speaking honestly, Christians have neither. They don't have the, the rudder of the word. They don't know what the Bible says. They don't know what it teaches. And they don't have the, the sail either. No power in their lives, no, no conviction of sin, no, no you know, listening for him, to, to lead, no obedience, no empowerment and boldness to share the gospel. So if you don't understand who the Holy Spirit is, you'll, you'll never appreciate what he does. And you'll, you'll end up like what Paul talked to Timothy about in Timothy 2, uh, chapter, 2 Timothy chapter 3, you have a form of godliness, but deny its power. A form of godliness, right? Like the shell of a, a godly person, but, but no power. And Paul tells him, stay away from people like that. 
You'd be a religious person that just goes through the motions. No power in your life. You're, you're probably just a slave to sin. No, no answered prayers in your life. A, 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 name, a Christian in name only, basically. No interest in prayer. No interest in worshiping Jesus. No interest in, in studying his word. No growth. No growth in your life. You, you don't want to be that kind of believer. which many are no believer at all. You'll miss out on so much of what God wants to do in and through you. So, so the question we should have as we kind of enter this series isn't like, well, how can I get more Holy Spirit in my life? Because you already have the Holy Spirit in your life. The question should be is, how do I surrender more of myself to him? How do I let him get a hold of more of me? Because he's there. He's already speaking. Did you know? That this infinitely wise, eternal, omniscient, omnipresent person that lives in you as a believer is speaking to you constantly. Constantly. The question is, are, are we listening? Do we even know what that means to, to, to hear the voice of God and to be able to discern it? Is this my, is this my voice or is it his? Like, these things take time and growth and intentionality. Have you taken the time and intentionality to foster that relationship? So as we close, I think all of us are in one of these three camps when it comes to the, this, me, this message of the Holy Spirit. Because again, we're only scratching the surface here. No one ever gets to that point where they've reached the, the pinnacle, right? So, so every single one of us in this room fall into one of these three categories. And I just want to kind of pose some questions here to, to kind of get you thinking as we go through these next three weeks. The first one, maybe you know nothing of the Holy Spirit. This is all brand new to you. You've never really given it any thought. Maybe you're just now realizing, man, have I been missing something this whole time and you want to grow in this area? Or second, maybe you know him, but you have resisted him. This is me. I know I have the Holy Spirit. I've heard him speak to me. I've had times in my life where I've been obedient and I've experienced things of him. You just can't describe any other way than I'm with God, right? But there are times I resist him. There are times I question, is it really his voice? Or I don't want things to get weird. I don't want to be some kind of weirdo, right? That's doing these weird things in public to, to, to be obedient somehow to him. And so, so I turn it off. Maybe that's you. You're not sure if, if you're hearing his voice or not. Or third, you know him, you follow him, but you want to grow in your capacity to hear him. Like you want to grow in your ability to discern his voice again, but, but grow in obedience. You remember, remember the, the Pentecost thing when the Holy Spirit fell, they started speaking in tongues, right? That wasn't the end. That, that was just the beginning, right? They, they didn't have this big experience and be like, oh my gosh, that was so cool. Let's go get... Some, some McDonald's or something on the way home. It immediately turned into obedience and empowerment to share the gospel. That, that's why he empowered, that's, that's the purpose of him in our lives. It's not just some experience. And maybe you wanna learn what it truly means to walk with him, to walk your life in step with the Holy Spirit. Did you know that God has a plan your life.
He has a plan and a purpose for you. Not only that, but he wants you to know what that plan is. I tell people this all the time. Like God's not some kind of mean puppet master that's trying to trick you, right? Or like, like obscure things so you don't really know what's going on. Or you don't. He wants you to know his plan for you. The, the question is, are you listening? And are you obeying? And are you growing? He has promised us that he'll show us these things. If, if Romans 12, if we'll be renewed by the transforming of our minds, right? We, we get his thoughts in our head, replacing our thoughts. We know his scripture. We know his word. We have a relationship with him. It's, he promises us that, that he'll lead us into that will, his will for our lives. That's what? Good and pleasing and perfect. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Bow your heads for a second, if you don't mind, and let's, let's just pray. And just ask God, what, what, what's in this for you? Like, what, what's he trying to teach you? What's he trying to show you? Just pray that he would open your mind to just more understanding, more obedience. And you might be here... Maybe you're in that first group and you're like, man, I don't, this is all new to me. Maybe you're even realizing you, you don't even have a relationship with, with God to start with. Maybe you're like, I wonder if I know, don't hear his voice speaking to me because I, he's not in there, right? Because if, if you've never submitted your life to Jesus, I'm not talking about believing in Jesus. I'm talking about bowing the knee, making him Lord of your life and, and starting a relationship with God through Jesus. If, if, if you've never done that, you don't have the Holy Spirit in your heart anyway. And maybe now is your time. <laughs> That's the, the beautiful news of the gospel is that there is this giant chasm between us and God because he is infinitely holy and we are infinitely sinful. We can't have a relationship with them. So that's, that's what brought this plan of redemption about in the first place that he sent Jesus to live a perfect life that you and I are incapable of living. And he died a death on the cross that you and I deserved to die because we know that the wages of sin is death and eternal death, separation from God. So, so Jesus became sin, our sin. He, he, he put it on himself. He died for us. Then he was raised from the dead by the Holy Spirit. And now you have the opportunity right here in this place, right now in this moment, to respond to that gift he's offering you. And to maybe for the first time, finally bowing your knee and saying, God, I make you Lord of my life. I, I put my faith in Jesus, what he did for me on the cross to have a relationship with you because I know I can't earn it on my own. And then he sends his spirit to live inside of you, to, to guide you, to comfort you to counsel you, to lead you into truth, to convict you of sin, to whisper God's plan for you. Make that decision today. God, we ask that you would just grow our desire for more interaction with your spirit, to, to know who the Holy Spirit is and what he does in our lives and all that we might be missing out on. We know that we can't know God's thoughts except through God's spirit in us. And we have his spirit. And we can know the wonderful things you've freely 
giving, given us, and we know that the, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, will lead us into truth and freedom. So God, as we enter into these next few weeks, just, just open our minds, God. Let us experience something new of you. Take us to new levels in our relationship with you, new levels of obedience, holiness. We don't want to be a, a, a Christian in name only. We don't want to be a, a shell of a Christian having a form of godliness but denying its power. We want the rudder and the sail. And God, uh, as we open our sail to you, I pray that your, your Holy Spirit, the wind would blow us where you want us to go. And we would simply follow you, anchored to the truth of Scripture. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.